this sermon from Garden City Methodist Church. We want to invite you to worship with us each Sunday at 10.30 a.m., either in person or online. You can come to our beautiful sanctuary at 62 Varnado Avenue, Garden City, Georgia, or you can worship with us online as we stream our services at GardenCityUMC.com. Y'all, I love a good true crime documentary. Give me a murder show any day of the week and I will gladly watch it. Give me a series about a cult with a charismatic cult leader and I'll just wolf it on down. Give me a murder cult and I'm in, I'm hooked. I, I really like these kind of, these intense shows, um, but, but my problem with them is I have a hard time binge watching like really intense crime murder shows. I love to watch it, but I'll get an episode in or maybe two before I need a break from the scariness and the murder and the control. And um, even when I'm really invested in one of these dark crime shows, I need a little palate cleanser, especially if I'm watching it right before bed. I don't like to end my day on a murder. I like to end my day on a laugh, you know? So I, I need a little palate cleanser, something nice and pleasant and unchallenging, right? My favorite palate cleanser show is Frasier. There is just something comforting about watching Niles try to host a dinner party with the bird stuck to his head that just kind of erases all of the murder and all of the blood away from my memory and allows me to go to sleep peacefully. If you weren't here last week, you missed kind of a doozy. We're in a series on Revelation, and we're digging into Revelation. And so last week, we talked about um, the judgment of Revelation. We talked about the seven seals and the seven trumpets and the seven bowls and all of the ways that God is punishing sin and, and, and allowing the consequences of sin to wreak havoc on the world. And we read about locusts with the face of humans that torture people. We read about the blood the water turning into blood. We read about mountains falling into the sea, all kinds of stuff. And it was intense. Some of them were downright scary. But one thing we didn't cover last week is that God gives John some interludes in between these judgments. Every once in a while, you get a break from all the calamity and you see some of the interludes of the things that are going on in heaven. It's like God knew that, that John needed a little palate cleanser in the middle of all this judgment so it wouldn't overwhelm us. He took a break from some of the, the judgments and gave him a little bit of a Frasier break in there. And so today we're covering one such interlude. And it takes place between the sixth and the seventh seals being unleashed. All right, so the sixth seal was this earthquake, this huge earthquake that come on the, came on the earth. And then after that, John sees in heaven, God's instructing the angels not to harm the grass or the trees on the earth until 144,000 of God's people are sealed up. And he, he lists 12,000 people from each tribe of Israel. And, and this is, symbolizes the ultimate number of perfection. Right, 12 times 12, this complete number in Hebrew minds of, of perfection, of wholeness, of completeness. All 12 of the tribes represented times a thousand. And, and that's just a way of saying a lot. 
So I'm not worried about counting up to 144,000 people literally. I don't think that's what God is intending when he gives John this vision. We're not supposed to pick out 144,000 individuals that he's talking about here. The whole point of it is that these, these people represent the redeemed people of God. They represent the faithful people that were, were all in for God, and there's a bunch of them. We're, we're looking at people from every tribe, nation, and tongue who are faithful to God, and they're being sealed up for God's purposes in, in heaven. Okay? Side note, Revelation makes it clear there are people from every tribe, nation, and tongue. So people that are filled with hate and are racist are going to hate heaven because there's going to be a bunch of different kinds of people there. So um, they're, all these people are, are together, and that's where we get to this week's scripture in Revelation chapter 7, verses 9 through 17. After this I looked, and there was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, robed in white, with palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who is seated on the throne, and to the Lamb. And all the angels stood around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshiped God, singing, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these robed in white? And where have they come from? And I said to him, Sir, you're the one who knows. And he said to me, These are the ones who have come out of the great ordeal. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. For this reason, they are before the throne of God and worship him day and night within his temple. And the one who is seated on the throne will shelter them. They will hunger no more and thirst no more. The sun will not strike them nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb at the center of the throne will be their shepherd. He will guide them to springs of water of life. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I really love how the elder that John speaks to fakes like he doesn't know who these people are. And asks John, and then John <laughs> calls him on it. He says, no, you know who these people are. And the elder's like, yeah, you got me. I totally know who these people are. And, and explains it to John. And he eventually fesses up and says that these are those who are rescued. Uh, this translation says the great ordeal. A lot of people translate and say the great tribulation. Now, when we hear the phrase great tribulation, we're kind of conditioned by all kinds of end times movies and books that we've read to assume that we know what that means. We think of the great tribulation as some kind of seven-year period during the end of days in which there are all these awful things that happen on earth as a punishment for sin. Like all of these Bowls and seals and trumpets happen in one seven-year form and some interpretations of Revelation, and that's called the Great Tribulation. And a bunch of these things that we describe happen during this time, and that's what they think of. But I want to spend a few minutes here digging into the word tribulation. That word literally means pressure or trouble that inflicts distress. So consider this. During the period that Revelation was written, there was a great deal of trouble that inflicted distress upon Christians on a daily basis. 
Remember several weeks ago when we read the seven letters to the seven churches, the faithful churches were the ones who were steadfast in the middle of persecution and tribulation. Rome had it out for Christians around this time. I don't know if you've ever learned about Nero and this kind of stuff he was doing to Christians, burning Christians alive in his gardens. It wasn't a safe and respectable thing to be a Christian in those days. Being a Christian at the least, meant that might have meant that you couldn't find work and that nobody wanted to trade with you. Or it might meant that you were setting yourself up to be murdered by the state. So I'm not saying that this great tribulation isn't some kind of future end times seven-year-long thing, but what I am saying is that I don't think this great tribulation was just referring to a future judgment but I think he definitely was referring to a time of difficulty and hardship on earth for Christians that the people that were reading this letter were living through in their lifetimes. I doubt when they read about a tribulation, their minds would have had to jump to an end times because they had enough tribulation going on in their day-to-day -day lives right then. They didn't have to speculate about what Christians might, what tribulations might come in the future because they're just trying to survive day to day the tribulations of being a Christian in Rome. So I think we can get so sidetracked with trying to worry about who exactly these 144,000 people are or when exactly this tribulation is going to come that we miss the whole point of this passage. And the point is that Jesus has rescued his people. That's it. They're showing in the, midst of these, in the midst of these tribulations, in the midst of these judgments, that Jesus has got his people. Y'all, life is hard. Life is beautiful and complicated and good, but there is not a person alive who will escape unscathed. There hasn't been a person who hasn't been in the midst of trouble that's inflicted distress. And if somehow you've skated by in your life without having any major heartbreak, oppression, or trouble so far, then I'm here to tell you that's not going to last. Everybody encounters times of crisis. Everybody encounters times of hardship. Nobody is so lucky or so charmed that they skate through life without enduring hardship and crisis. The fact is, the end is coming for all of us, and that's something we all are going to have to face one day. And it's just a difficult truth that Scripture does not shy away from, and neither should we. We are guaranteed that we are going to have trouble. And if even if we live the most charmed life possible, each of us is going to die someday. There is nobody that isn't going to face some kind of tribulation, some kind of hardship in their life. Which is why it's such good news for you and for me that we serve a Jesus who is in the business of rescuing. Because while nobody escapes tribulation, there's also nobody that Jesus can't and won't rescue. 
whether he's rescuing people from some future super tribulation at the end of time or he's saving us from the troubles and the pressure that we face day to day now, Jesus is our rescuer. It's so lovely to see this kind of reward for these faithful saints in the white robes. That Jesus rescues them from tribulation. He puts a seal on their foreheads, marking them as his own. And he leads them to springs of living water. And he wipes away the tears from their eyes. What more could you want? I used to think that having Jesus wipe away every tear from their eyes meant that there's no crying in heaven. But actually, I, I think that's not exactly true. <laughs> He can't wipe away the tears from your eyes if the tears aren't there in the first place. The tears are on their faces, and they're being wiped away by Jesus. Think about what an intimate gesture that is. When one of my kids is crying, and they need comfort, they come and they climb up in my lap. And sometimes I wipe away the tears from their eyes. You've got to be up close to someone to do that. You've got to be close enough to touch their face. You've got to have a relationship of trust where someone trusts you to see them crying, to get up close and to touch. It's a gentle thing to have someone reach out and touch your face and comfort you when you've been crying and wipe your tears away. And that's the kind of comfort that Jesus promises for believers who are in the midst of tribulation and trouble and distress in their lives. Think about how restful that must be to live in complete safety, to be unburdened from worry, unburdened from scarcity, to be led by that spring of living water where we never have to run out again. What a tremendous reward. That's salvation, y'all. That's rescue to be troubled and weighed down by the tribulations of your lives and then to be swept away from that worry, to be comforted by a rescuer who gets close to you, to be brought to safety and plenty. What a weight off of our shoulders. That's the kind of rescue that I think we can look forward to from Jesus. So the $100,000 question is, how do I get a white robe? How do I qualify for a rescue like this? What do I need to do to make sure that I'm in that group of people? The people that get rescued from a tribulation. I have the privilege as a pastor to sit with people who are dying sometimes. And as you draw closer to death, this question becomes more pressing, right? How do I make sure that I am one of these people that's getting rescued by Jesus? It's one thing to have assurance of your salvation when you think you've got plenty of time left. But when it feels like it's coming around the corner, it gets harder to be confident sometimes. And sometimes it's a difficult privilege to have to sit with the dying. You want to reassure them that they're going to be okay, that their salvation is coming. But how do I know for sure? Am I giving people a false sense of security if I just tell them they're going to be all right? 
And the temptation comes for me, it's like, maybe I should just lead them in a sinner's prayer here just in case. Who doesn't love a deathbed conversion? At least that way I know that they've said the prayer. But I don't think saying a particular prayer is what guarantees you salvation. Neither does living a good life or doing a certain amount of good deeds do the trick either. Because the good news of salvation and the good news of these white robes is this. It is all about Jesus. It's about the rescuer, not the rescued. Scripture says that the people with the white robes have white robes because they were washed in the blood of the Lamb. That's it. You'd think you'd end up with a red robe if your robe was washed in blood, but Jesus' blood is pure and it gives, leads them to these white robes. If they've been washed in his blood, then they're clean. Any shortcomings they've got, any problems they've had in life, get more than made up for by the grace and the blood of Jesus. It does not depend on you to be good. It doesn't depend on you to deserve it. It depends on him to be faithful. And he always is. And so I get to say to people in that situation, Scripture says that if you confess with your mouth and believe with your heart that Jesus is Lord, then, then he's got you. And if you've done that, then it's up to him to be good, not up to you. And you know that if you've confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus is Lord, that you will receive this white robe and receive the rescue because he is good enough for you. It's not about you being good enough. It's about him being good enough. And y'all, hopefully we're coming out of a season of great loss and tribulation. These past few years, I don't think there's any of us that doesn't know someone who wasn't close to someone who has died unexpectedly. And it's been a, a tremendous tribulation in our world. We have been distressed. We have been stressed out. We have had this high anxiety. We're in a period of distress and tribulation right now. But we believe that our friends and family who confess with their mouth and believe in their heart that Jesus is Lord have been washed in the blood of Jesus and rescued by him. We believe that he is wiping away their tears as we speak and he is leading them to springs of living water. We believe that whatever tribulations they had on earth, they will no longer suffer. And we believe that Jesus' power as the Lamb of God who was slain, Jesus will conquer sin and death once and for all one day. And he will bring about a new heaven and a new earth where this rescue will be all that there is. When this safety, when these springs of new living water will be it. That tribulation will be gone and the good stuff will be all that's left when Jesus comes again. We learn from Revelation that the invisible spiritual reality is that sin is a big deal and it's serious. That the consequences for sin are real. That all the judgments are coming. But 
even more than that, in the midst of all of that, we are reminded of the most important spiritual reality of all. Jesus rescues. That Jesus claims us as his own and that Jesus will have the victory in the end. So today, I want us to luxuriate in that truth. Today, I want us to praise God for being the one who rescues, to thank Jesus who will wipe away the tears from our eyes and to live our lives here on earth as rescued people looking forward to the day when tribulations will be no more. Today, if you have not ever proclaimed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus is Lord, today's the day to do it. The altar is open. If you want to come and, and worship God for his rescuing power, come to the altar and pray. Let's go to God in prayer. Jesus, we love you. You have rescued us from sin, from the consequences of our own stupid decisions. You've rescued us from death itself by promising us a new life. Jesus, you're so wonderful. You're so powerful. You're so good. So I pray that you will give us the confidence of redeemed people the confidence that no matter what troubles or trials or hardships we go through in this life, that one day you will wipe away the tears from our eyes. Help us never to forget that, Father. Help us to hold on to that promise, even when things get hard, especially when things get hard. Bless us today, Father. In your name I pray. Amen.